What they say last week, Pastor Aldo said, Corobics, amen? Yes. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. That's good stuff. It's good for us, you know, if you don't exercise any other day, at least Sunday, right? You're going to do that. So I'm not asking you just to stand, just to stand. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Romans, the book of Romans, we're going to read chapter 13. We're going to read from verse 8. The book of Romans chapter 13 and verse 8. When you got it, say so. And it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. God, we thank you today for your word that is true. We thank you today for your love that is real. And we pray this morning, God, that you would open our ears, that you would captivate our minds, that we would not be distracted today, but God, that our hearts would be stayed on you and that we would not solely hear your word, but God, that we would obey your word, that we would respond to you in faith. And I pray, Lord, that you be glorified in the preaching of your word today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will make sure you get one. Want to be sure that you're able to follow along in the introduction of the sermon. We also want to be sure that you're able to take notes. And um, as my challenge is always to you, you are a disciple of Jesus. And as a disciple of Jesus, you are also a disciple maker. And so one of the things that you can do is you can just sit down with someone throughout the week, make time for it, so that way you can actually share with them what you're learning and you can help them grow in their faith. And I assure you, it will help you grow in your faith as well. And so this morning, as we continue on in our series, Foundations of Faith, um, in the book of Romans chapter 13 here, where I'm going to speak on something that I have entitled, I owe you, I owe you. Right, like, I owe you, right? Like, you know, sometimes, anybody ever have, ever have someone owe them something? Anybody raise your hand? Raise your hand if you ever had someone owe them. Did you forgive them if they didn't pay you back, right? Sometimes people don't pay back, right? And you walk around, like, upset, right? Like, I'm a, I'm a firm believer. When you lend something to someone, you should not expect it back. Uh, seriously, like if, like, like if I'm going to lend it to you, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I hope I get it back, right? Like I want it back, like for real, especially with something big, right? Like I, I want it back. But nonetheless, I, I, have the, I have the understanding. I've lent a few things out and have not found them, right? Or I never, I, I guess they never got returned. I don't know, you know, something like that. But anyway, uh, we, we, we have to look at this owing thing, right? This debt thing. And so if you look at your outline here, I want you to think about this. And, and I know you know this, but debt is a real issue in the United States. Would you not agree with that? It's a real issue in the United States. We want what we can't afford, right? What we can't afford, we're not satisfied with. So we can take the option to live the life we want and pay for it later. Is that not true? 
As we can do. I mean, that's just the truth. Like, well, you know what? I can't afford that, but, you know, and, and listen, it doesn't even matter what your credit score is. They got some for everybody. Hello. Now, the better your credit score is, the lower it costs you. But nonetheless, you, you could be like straight up like a 100 credit, credit score. Your interest rate is going to be crazy. But nonetheless, right, we, 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 there's something for everyone if they want to live that dream. And sometimes that dream becomes a nightmare. But nonetheless, I want you to think about this. The average household credit card debt is $16,074. Now, I, that's just credit card debt. Now, this is the average, the national average, right, credit card debt in a household. We're not talking about your, your mortgage. We're not talking about your car payment. We're not talking about those other little things that you have that accumulate. $16,000. Now, check this number out. I've never seen a number this big. I looked this up, but look at this here. Our national debt is $22 trillion. Four hundred and seventy-two billion, three hundred and sixty million, seven hundred ninety-seven thousand, three hundred and twenty-nine dollars. That's a lot. I was going to put that number up there just so you could see it, but I was like, whatever. Y'all got it on the paper. It would have been more impressive up there. But here's what what that, that is a huge number, is it not? I think we have debt issues. I'm just saying. As a nation, we have some debt issues. But can I tell you something? Uh, the, the, we owe the most to the one we often think the least about. Now, $16,000 in household debt, that's a lot, right? But you can pay that off, can't you? If you've ever gone through like Dave Ramsey or you've gone through Compass or something like that, Crown Ministries, you know that it's not impossible. You can pay that debt off. Now, look, this astronomical $22 trillion debt that we have, by the way, that was Thursday. I'm sure today if you went and got the actual number, it's more. But that was Thursday's number, right? So today you're like, nah, Bishop, you're wrong. I know that. This was Thursday. And, and as a matter of fact, it's funny because when I first looked at the number, copy and pasted it, like a little while later, I saw the number changed. I was like, wow. So nonetheless, you see how big that number is. You know that you, we can pay that debt, right? I don't know how, but it is possible to pay that debt. Can I tell you something? The reason why I say the one that we owe the most is because we can never, no matter what we do, no matter how good we are, no matter what, we can never pay the debt of sin. I want you to think about this. That number is a shocking number. For some of you, are like, oh, it doesn't shock me. I know the 22 trillion number. When I, when I looked at the number and I saw how big it was, it was shocking to me, even though I've heard it before. But what I realized is this, is that, I, that my sin makes $22 trillion look like nothing. Because I can never do enough good things to ever pay for. Listen, if I, listen to me now. If I stop sinning today, which is impossible, but if I stop sinning today and I did good works every day from this day until the day I died, guess what? I never take care of my sin debt. That is the beauty of the gospel. It is that I can never take care of my sin, but Jesus comes and he does for me what I can never do. He does for you what you could never do. The weight of that sin, the guilt of that sin, that thing that holds you down, Jesus already paid the price for that. It is up to us to call upon him. And yet, as a nation, we think about him the least. And sometimes, as his people, sadly, we think about him the least. And here's the beauty of this, is he does not hold our debt over our heads, but calls us to live in gratitude to him and in love towards one another. He doesn't hold it, hold it over our head and say, oh, you owe me. That, that isn't what it is. I wasn't saying when I said I owe you, I wasn't talking about us owing God. It is simply the fact that we owe each other. Paul said something really important here. And I want you to think about this. And this is, this, this morning, think about this. When our greatest debt is to Jesus, the results should be love for others. 
When we realize our greatest debt is to Jesus, our love or the results should be our love for others. When we come to that reality, that's what should happen, is that we should realize, man, I owe him my life. He gave his life for me, therefore I'm going to love others. And it's funny because the, the, the last week Pastor Aldo preached and the week before that I was in this love position and God is like, son, I want you to talk about love. I want you to speak on love. I, I want you to get this. And, and, and it's like this, the whole thing about love is resonating. And so this morning, I want you to hear that love is what we're dealing with here, what Paul is talking about. And so repeat this after me if you would. Say this, is debt freedom possible? That's your first point this morning. Is debt freedom possible? And look what Paul says in verse 8. He says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. He says, Owe no one anything, right? Like he's, he's speaking in terms of debt, like we, we owe somebody something. But he says this, Owe them nothing except to love them. So he communicates this. So here's what I'll say. Yes, debt freedom is possible in the natural sense, but in the spiritual sense, it's not. And so a lot of people hear this verse, and I don't know about you, but even myself, when I thought about this verse, I automatically think about it, and I think about it in the context of actual personal debt. Like I should owe no one anything, right? If you've been through any of these classes on finances, they're going to use this, this verse to confirm to you. The Bible says to owe no one anything. And I would agree with that, that, that the scriptures are speaking in those terms about owing no one anything. But you have to be in the context. Remember what I always said, and every time that I preach, I always say this, right? When we're talking about hard topics, I always say what? Context is king, right? You have to look at the context to understand what Paul is talking about. So here's what I'll say. Paul is not speaking about personal debt. He's talking about interpersonal debt. He's not talking about our personal debt. As a matter of fact, if you read your Bibles, you'll find this. The Bible doesn't say that we cannot be in debt. Here's the problem with what, what I just said. Some of you are like, oh, Bishop said I can get into debt. That's not what I said. <laughs> that is not what I said. Anymore that the Bible was, you know, is, is okay with you just getting into debt for the wrong reason. Now, here's what you have to understand. In the scriptural times when the Bible is written, guess what happens? What happens is some people, they can't afford stuff. So you know what they have to do? It's not because they wanted that couch. Hello, somebody. They needed food. Are you here? It wasn't because they wanted that car or they wanted to live in that neighborhood. It wasn't any of that. That wasn't the reason why people got into debt in those times. People got into debt because they couldn't feed their families. Are you here? They were in different situations, and so their reason for that wasn't because they were trying to live an American dream. They were trying to do what? They were trying to take care of their family. So what happens is you have moments that, you know, people become slaves in those times, right? And so we think about slavery, we think about the whole negatives, but why didn't the Bible condemn it? Because it's different, it's a servitude, it's a different thing that God is regulating there. It's not the, 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 the denigration of man or anything like that. It's simply, man, you can't afford stuff. And in that culture, you had to have some laws that govern what this was. And so what does God do when he talks about the personal debts? He says, look, first of all, if you do it, make sure you pay your debts. Are you here? The other thing he says, if you're the one who is giving people loans, don't be raising up your interest rates. Come on, somebody. Someone needs to preach that to America. Hello? Right? Looking at credit scores, well, hey, you got a great credit score, I'm going to hook you up. And then they mess people up, right? Like, you got a bad credit score, so I'm going to make you pay more. Anyway, anyway, they need to read the Bible. Hello. Someone needs to read the Bible. But here's the thing. What Paul is talking about in context is this. Go back to verse 7. Look what he says in verse 7 here. He says, render, therefore, to all their due. Now, pause for a moment. 
Render to, re- render to all, right? Render to others their due. In other words, Paul makes it clear. He uses two words to make it crystal clear. You owe, and, and remember, Pastor Aldo preached this last week. You owe your, your leaders in, in, in our nation, you owe them certain respect. I know that we don't want to hear that. Right? But we owe them that. Why? Because God says, not because I said, not because they're great, anymore that we have to honor our parents. What is the Bible? Doesn't the Bible tell us that we are to honor our parents? Does it not say that? Honor your father and mother. Did it say with a caveat, unless? It didn't say that, did it? It said, honor your father and your mother, right? And that's it. There's no, there's no, well, my mom is this, my dad, it doesn't matter. You honor them. The same thing goes for our leaders, right? Like that's what the scriptures teach us. So what does Paul say here? He says, surrender to them all their due. Taxes to whom taxes. I know you hate taxes. We all hate taxes. Nonetheless, the Bible speaks about it. It doesn't say which tax rate is right. It just says pay taxes. He leaves it up to us. Leaves it up to the governing authorities to make those decisions. That's why you pray for them. And glory to God in our day, we actually get to vote about stuff. Amen. Right? We actually have the ability to communicate. We have the ability to speak to, right? Anyway, I'm, I don't, don't want to go down there. We're going to preach about that later on. But here's the thing. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Custom to, to whom customs, right? Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. And then just forget that there's a pause there in your Bible. Owe no one anything. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, you owe some people some things. And he says this, owe them nothing. Pay the taxes who owe you who you owe taxes. Pay the customs who you owe customs. Pay fear and honor, right? That's respect, right? Respect those in authority. Respect those around you. And Paul says this. He says to us, listen, God is saying to us today, owe no one anything except to love him. See, I owe you love. The only time you'll ever hear me say that someone is entitled to something is when it's talking about something that the scriptures say they're entitled to. Everybody in this room, everybody on this planet is entitled to love. No, I didn't get enough amens for that. I got like, mm, nah. <laughs> like you're not sure if that's true. Listen, I, this is it. I'm not going to tell you that people are entitled to this or entitled to that. What I'm going to tell you is what the Bible says. Owe no man anything except to love him. Everyone is entitled to love. Amen. And we are the ones as Christians. Listen, if you're a Christian in the room, if you're not a Christian, listen, this doesn't apply to you. You're free. You don't have to worry about this. But if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you claim to be one who believes the Bible, then guess what? You are a debtor to those around you to love them. Everyone. You and I are indebted to love them because we are reflections of God's glory in this earth. And so, oh, no one anything except to love others. And because what? He says why? For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. See, love for others is a debt that will never fully be paid this side of earth. Are you here? This side of heaven. You, it will always be there. And the Bible says that these remain faith, hope, and love, right? 1 Corinthians 13. And, and, and the one that, that, that is the greatest is love, right? That one's going to be there. Through all eternity, it's going to be with us. We're not going to need faith once we're in glory. We're not going to need hope once we're in glory. But love will remain in us. Now, here's the thing. Then, it's not going to be so difficult. Why? Because it's going to flow out of the new glorified self. Guess what? Right now, love is tough. You know what the scripture says? Jesus said one of the marks of the last days, he said this, sin would abound. And what? And the love of many would wax cold. In other words, what happens is because people's sin becomes more glaring and more overwhelming and more in your face and more offensive, you know what we begin to do? We begin to pull away from them. 
We don't want to love them. But the Bible tells us what? To owe no one anything except for us to love him. I love what one writer said. He said, pay all other debts. Be indebted in the matter of love alone. He said, this debt increases the more, the more it is paid. Because the practice of love makes the principle of love deeper and more active. You see, the more you love, the more you want to love. The more you realize you can love. See, you can never come and say, you know what, I've loved them enough. Can you ever say that? You can't say that, right? Like, like, like wives, I, I'm, you, you don't have to say amen to this, but if your husband just said, well, hey, I've loved you enough. Every lady in here is about to be like, Bishop, you need to fix that, right? <laughs> be like, well, babe, I work, I do this, I do that. I love you enough. I don't need to love you anymore. No. Every day there's a honey love list. Hello. Right? Every day, there, there, there's more ways you can love. And here's, what, here, here's the beauty of this. The beauty of this is when you commit to loving others, you know what ends up happening? You start to see more ways that you can love them. And it's not always doing things for them. Sometimes it's by not doing things to them. Are you here? Mm-hmm. Say this with me, our second point. Say, love is, love is the only right motivation, motivation. for law-keeping. Love is the only right motivation for law keeping, right? We have to have the right motivation for keeping the laws of God. So look what Paul goes on to say here in verses 9 through 10, 9 and 10. He says, for the commandments, he's speaking of the 10 commandments. I preached a while back on these. He said this, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, if there's any other imperative, if there's any other thing that God requires of you are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so we are called to love our neighbors. Why? Verse 10 says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so it should be clear, right, by now, that God's moral standards are as much important for us as they were to the people of Israel. Are you here? We should know this, right? Like if Paul repeats them, and this is how you know if something makes it, like you have to do it or not. If it makes it through the cross, then guess what? You're responsible for it. So every command that is given in the Old Testament that makes it through the cross that the Apostle Paul has spoken of, guess what? You and I are responsible to accomplish those things. We're responsible to fulfill what God is communicating. Here's what you have to understand is that God's moral law is not about salvation. Hello? God didn't give the children of Israel the moral law to save them. That wasn't it. He didn't give them the moral law for that. He gave them the moral law for what? Think about it now. What did he do? Think about when they got the law. They were in Egypt for like 400 years, and then what happens? God liberates them from Egypt, brings them into the wilderness, walks them out there, and when he gets them out of, when he delivers them from their sin, then he begins to instruct them on what? How they are to live, how they are to treat one another. That's what he does. He didn't say, keep my laws and you're going to be saved eternally. That's not what he said. That's not what the Bible ever says. It's the same thing for us as Christians. See, if we're believers, guess what happened? You came to Jesus, now you have responsibility. You and I came to Christ, so we have a responsibility. And the root of the responsibility is what? The root of the responsibility is that we love one another. This brings fulfillment of the law. And here's what I'll say, is that it is possible, it is very possible to love people and not love God. It is impossible to love God and not love people. 
It's possible for someone to walk around and have best friends and they don't know Jesus and love them and be willing to give their life for them. It's possible for someone to love their father, love their mother, love their children, love their families and have no consciousness in in, in the sense of a love toward God. However, if you say you love God, you have to love others. The natural flow of things is I love him and now I love my neighbors. Check this out. I even have to love my enemies. Hello. Love fulfills the law. Law keeping doesn't always embody love, right? There's some people you are like law enforcement Christians. Hello. You're the the police, right? You know, you're, 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 you're on this place, you're there, everything. You're, you're checking everybody, right? I mean, you're seeing everyone, right? You're like the law enforcement, right? There's no love enforcement, right? There's no love manifestation. It's just, wait a second, why? Because we become legalists sometimes. That just happens. But what we're supposed to do is this, is we're supposed to love one another enough. Now, hear me when I say this. I am not saying to you, because the Bible makes it crystal clear, that we are supposed to be accountable one to another. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't see when a brother or a sister is in sin. On the contrary, I would agree with the Apostle Paul that says, you who are spiritual, when you see such a one overtaken in a trespass, you restore such a one in humility, right, in gentleness. Why? So that way you are not tempted as well. So what I know is this, is that I am supposed to be my brother's keeper. Hello, somebody. I'm supposed to care about my brother. I shouldn't just care to look at their sin. I should care to see them walking in righteousness, right? And so I should want to walk in love. I should also want to make sure that, hey, my brother is doing right things. My sister is doing the right things. Here's what I know is that until our hearts are conquered by the love of God, our behavior will not be directed by a love for God. Let me say that again. Until our hearts are conquered by the love of God, our behavior will not be directed by a love for God. You see, when my heart is conquered by the love of God, you know, we sing here that one of my favorite songs, right? Good, good father, right? And we sing that song. It's such an overwhelming just thought. And he loves us. I'm loved by him. You're loved by this creator. He loves us. No matter what, he loves us. Man, we were his enemies, he loved us. He died for us. I mean, come on. He loves us. We're his children. Those are overwhelming thoughts that should move our lives to be able to forgive others, to be able to get past ourselves, to be able to love others in sacrificial ways. Why? Because God has demonstrated his love. But here's the thing. If our hearts are not conquered by the love of God, our lives won't be directed by a love for God toward others. And let me tell you one of the greatest ways, one of the greatest ways, I remember hearing a, a man one time, he was testifying in a church, and he said this, he said that he was praying and he was sharing with the Lord, and he was like, God, I just, I love you so much, and, and, he's, and he's, you know, he's sharing with the church, and he's saying, and I just, I, I, I wish I could just reach out and hug you. And he said he felt the Lord impress upon him, hey, go hug your neighbors. Go hug them. The love that you want to express towards me, hug them, love them. When we do communion together, we talk about discerning the body of the Lord. You realize that we are the body of Christ, right? This morning as we were in communion, that was in my heart. It's like we are the body of Christ. Sometimes we want to act like we are walking right with God and we are okay with the Lord, and yet we're in disarray with one another. 
We don't care about how we treat one another. We think that communion is somehow disconnected. If you read, look, look, go back and read chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, and you're going to see that the apostle Paul was rebuking them because some people were coming to the love feast, hello, and they were getting there and they were eating everything, and other people didn't have anything to eat. Some people were getting drunk, some people were getting full, the other people were hungry, like, hello. They weren't discerning the Lord's body. That we are the body of Christ, and so we are called to love one another. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, sinful behavior, sinful behavior. Always, leads always leads to more debt. To more debt. Sinful behavior always leads to more debt. One of my mentors, he said it, man, he said, you can sin. He said, but sin always, always affects relationships on some level. Even, listen to me, <laughs> even when other people don't know you sinned against them, it still affects you and them. Because you're walking around faking. You're walking around like everything is all good. But you know you sinned against them. You know you did wrong. And so what happens is we have this thing. And so sin always creates this division. And so Paul goes through this list of the Ten Commandments and he speaks of these things, communicating that we shouldn't live this way. But then in verse 11, he goes on and he says this. He says, and do this. And so do what? Right, we talked about this starting in chapter 12, right? Living as sacrifices unto the Lord, serving the body of Christ, loving one another sacrificially, honoring those who are in authority. Do this. Why do we do this? And he tells us why we are to do this. Knowing the time. Now, just pause for a moment because I want you to realize when we read this scripture here, we're like, oh, we got to know the time, right? Well, I want you to think about this. This is like 1,900 years ago. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment because if they were close to the coming of the Lord then, how close do you think we are now? I'm just saying, like, think about that. 1,900 years ago, the Apostle Paul and all of the church, they had this mindset, and they understood we should live a certain way because, because what? Because the coming of our Lord is closer. He says that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. When I read that scripture, it really messes me up, right? Because I think about this. And, and th this is my thought, is that the enemy wants to do what? The enemy wants to distract us so he can keep us out of focus and ultimately sleepwalking. Are you here? He wants to keep us sleepwalking. He wants to keep us. Why? Because a sleepwalking Christian is one who is lethargic in their Christianity. They're not about the Father's business. They're not about the mission of God. They're not about fulfilling what God has called them to fulfill. They're, they're not about that. They're just about going through the motions, right? That's what sleepy Christianity looks like. But here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, man, today, like I can understand, right? Like, I, and I, this is not justifiable, but I, I don't know about you, but I can understand why people would be, you know, relaxed in our day. United States, right? We're comfortable for the most part, right? Most people are, are doing okay. It's real easy to be comfortable in your Christianity. You're not going to be killed, right, for your faith. Probably not. Very rarely that's going to happen in the United States of America. So you're comfortable. You have a bunch of stuff. Most of you have a bed. You know, you have food, have a home, like clothing, jobs, stuff like that. Most, most of us are in, in that kind of situation. So it's real easy, I think, to be comfortable in our Christianity, to just be chill and like, okay, well, we're all good. It wasn't like that back then. 1,900 years ago, guess what? Christianity wasn't even legal. In that time, they were like, you know, they, they weren't even liked, right? It was, I mean, the Jews didn't like them because they were talking about, Pastor Aldo read it during communion, where if you confess the Lord, right, that was a big deal. That's an affront to Jewish people because you're saying Jesus, the one who was crucified, he's Lord. And guess what you were saying to the emperor? You're not Lord, he's Lord. It was an affront everywhere you went. 
And so Christianity was offensive. How were they sleeping? I have no idea. But they were sleeping because Paul is telling them that it's time for them to awake out of sleep. Can you hear those words resonating today? Can you hear those words resonating today even louder to the church in the United States of America? It is high time that we awake out of sleep. It is high time that we rise up and get out of comfortable Christianity and that we begin to be about the mission of God and we begin to be about changing lives. It is high time that we wake up out of our slumber, that we shake ourselves free from the comforts we find ourselves in and say, God, I want to serve you. God, I want to obey you. God, I want to be used by you. This isn't just for pastors and elders and deacons and ministers and people with titles. This is for the body of Christ. We are the priesthood of believers. All of us have this call and this mandate to live for the glory and the honor of God. It is high time that we wake up out of our slumber and we wake up out of our sleep. And he says what? He says, for now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Again, 1,900 years ago, we're looking at it today. Our salvation is nearer than we first believed from the day that you gave your life to Christ. 23 years ago or 24 years ago, something like that for me. The day, the, that day when I gave my life to Christ, that day, today, I'm much closer to the coming of the Lord, right? The same way that they were. And so we have to think about that whenever. He says we are closer. The, our salvation, our final salvation is nearer. Then we first believe, he says in verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, look at that, therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. You see that, you, you see that, that, that comparison that he makes? Cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Live as light in this world. Jesus says that we are the light of the world, does he not? We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. Cast off the works of darkness. Cast off those works of darkness. Be a person of light. In other words, you can't mix in. Like your life needs to shine brightly. You cannot look just like the world. You cannot look just like your neighbors around you. Listen, if you enjoy all of the same sinful stuff, I'm not talking about, man, come on. I'm not talking about just life in general. I'm talking about sinful things is what Paul is talking about. To the church now. He's telling the church. Listen, if you're not a follower of Christ, you know what he says? Come to me. If you're not following Jesus, he says, repent of your sin. You're not going to walk in perfection. Let me clean you up. That's what he says to you. But if you are a follower of Jesus, he calls you to check yourself, to look at your life, to cast off the works of darkness, to put on the armor of light. But he goes on and he says this. He says, let us walk properly. <laughs> I like that word properly. That word properly in some translation, it is decently. When you look at the actual definition of the word, it is the word honestly. Let us walk honestly. In other words, remember we talked about a couple of weeks ago? Remember I talked about the hypocritical stuff? Remember I asked the question? Some of y'all got it, right? Like, how many of you are perfect? None of y'all raised your hands. And then I accused you of all being hypocrites. Remember that? Such a loving pastor, right? And I said, look, the difference between, and maybe some of you got that, but you missed the next part. It is that for Christians, the difference is this, is that while we may be hypocritical because we are not perfect, we know that Jesus died because of our hypocrisy, and we know that we are not justified to live as hypocrites. Are you here? 
He says, live honestly. Be an honest representation of who Jesus is. And he says this, as in the day, walk properly as in the daytime. In other words, he's pointing out during the day, listen, now think about this. Now let's just keep it 100. There are certain things that you will do that you will not do during the day that you will do at night. Come on now. I don't know what those are. Those may be real personal, but whatever. But there are certain things, and and in other words, there are certain things that you will do that you will not do in the presence of other people where people can see you, whether it's daytime or nighttime. There's just certain things that you will not do in the presence of others. What Paul is telling us here is, listen, man, you need to live properly as in the daytime, as in the light, you need to live a certain way. What does he go on to say? He says, not in revelry and drunkenness. Y'all know what revelry and drunkenness is, right? That's a party life. Not in lewdness and lust. Y'all know what that is, right? That's being lustful. That's, that's having this appetite for things that are ungodly. Not in strife and envy. And so here's what we have to understand. That followers of Jesus are to be authentic representations of the Lord. Are you here? We're called to be authentic representations of God. We can't, listen, a, a follower of Jesus can't be committed to Christ and living a party life. Hello, somebody. You can't be doing that. You cannot be living that way. You cannot be a person that is over there and committed to a lifestyle of lust. Listen, you may be in this place, and let me tell you something. There are more people that battle with lust than would ever admit it, especially in the church. Listen to me. It is okay to have a battle. It's not okay for you to give in to the battle. It is okay for you to fight against sin. If you're fighting your sin, we want to stand next to you. We want to walk with you through that sin. We want to help you overcome it. And if you are just living in sin, defeated and enjoying it, we want to call you to repentance. Are you here? The reality is, though, you cannot live a lustful lifestyle and be an authentic representation of Jesus. And you cannot live a contentious lifestyle. Hello, somebody. Strife and envy, just contentious, always want to argue, all about the fight, all about that aggression. That cannot be. Those two things cannot go together. You cannot represent Jesus the way that he calls us to. And verse 14, and we're getting ready to wrap up. He says this, but put on the Lord, Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now, this is what messes me up. Why is he telling the church this? Did you ever think about that? Why is he telling the church this? Church people should know better, should they not? (laughs) I'm just saying. Like, we're supposed to live holy? As a matter of fact, you know, we've gone through this, right? They had a bunch of Jewish people in there. So I'm sure those Jewish folks, they knew what the law was. Hello. They knew what was right. They knew what was holy. And yet Paul is having to tell the church, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, put on the moral character of the Lord. This is where the renewing of the mind comes in. Let your mind be transformed. Right? Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be renewed in your thinking. Let God change the way you think. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what? And make no provision for the flesh. You know what that word provision means? It means to give forethought to. In other words, believers, followers of Jesus, we should not be looking at, you know, I, you know, I really enjoy this sin, and so I'm going to go to this place to do that. You know what we should be doing? We should be saying, wait a second, I'm not going to that place. I'm not listening to that stuff. I'm not going around those people because of what? It doesn't mean you're super holy because none of us are, but if you are trying to live righteous, sometimes you got to say no to stuff. You have to be honest with yourself. I love, I, I love the Reyes family, and, and I, I appreciate them so much because there are people that I believe that 
You know, they have, they have certain convictions, and one of the convictions had to do with television a long time ago, and they removed the television, and they, weren't try, they didn't try to make this a legalistic thing, but they, they, they just wanted to make sure that they were living by their convictions. And you know what, church? We need to live by our convictions. Don't listen to me when I say this. Don't try to force your convictions upon anyone, but don't deny your convictions for anyone else either. Are you here? Don't, don't, don't deny when God shows you, because you know what? Your battle and my battle may be different. Hello, somebody. Some of you, you, listen, there are certain things for some of you, there are things. You know what, we, all, we talk about this, and I'm, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to say this. It's real controversial, so I'll just say it, and I'll get out of the way. <laughs> but we talk about drinking, right? All of us have different backgrounds in the church, right? We all have different backgrounds, right? And my personal conviction, my personal conviction is I don't need alcohol to have fun. When I grew up, you know what I drank with every meal? Milk. Hello, somebody. I didn't grow up drinking white wine or red wine or whatever. I don't even know what kind of wines they are. Hello. I didn't grow up that way. And so for me, it's not needed to make food taste better. It's food tastes great. Hello. I'm, I'm, I'm a witness to that. Glory to God. And I don't need alcohol to make food taste better. I don't need alcohol to make life better either. Are you here? You see, when I, let, let me say this to you. The reason why this conviction is so strong in me. Because when I was not a believer, you know what I used to have to do to make everything in life better? I had to be high to make things in life better. I had to, if, I'm just keeping it 100 with you. I told you all I'm getting ready to go. I got five seconds. <laughs> if, I wanted, if I wanted to eat, right, you know what I had to do? I had to smoke a blunt. Some of you don't even know what that is, but anyway. <laughs> now what? I had to smoke some marijuana, guys, all right? That's what I had to do in order to eat. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at the food part, but here's my point. My point is, I didn't enjoy life if I wasn't high. You know what happened when I came to Jesus? It's like the colors turned on, the flavors became greater. I didn't need anything to enjoy life. But here's my point. I didn't forget about what I was talking about, which is the whole drinking thing. For me, it's a thing that, man, I don't have a need for it, and I'm not going to be a bad example to anyone and let them blame me for their alcoholism. Hello. Hello. But you know what? Some of you guys in here, you feel differently. Some of you grew up drinking wine. I don't know how that happened, but anyway. Some of you grew up and that was your household. And that's the way that they got down. And you feel, you know, you feel in your heart. And I'm going to talk about this next week as well. Not, not alcohol, but just, you know, the conscious stuff. But you feel okay. And listen, I'm not going to condemn you for that. There, there is no need to be condemning one to another. There, there is no need for us to be condemning one to another for those things. What we have to do is we need to make sure of what? That we are operating and that we are acting in love toward others. That's the big thing. Is that we are acting in love toward one another. That we are operating in love. That we are operating in a way that is bringing glory to God. That is what you and I have to be sure of. Amen? That's what we have to do. We have to be those people that say, you know what, God, I want to bring you glory in everything. And if I can bring you glory in this glass of wine, then I'm going to do that. If I can't do that with a clear conscience, you shouldn't drink it. Hello. Because the Bible says this, anything that is not done in faith is sin. Are you here? So if you have doubt, <laughs> if you're not sure, just say no. Amen. Here's my closing question for you. Remember I told you the, the title of the message was, I owe you. It is this, who do you owe? Who do you owe? Who do you owe? You're thinking about, man, did I give that back? I'm not talking about that. <laughs> did I pay them back? No, I'm not talking about that. 
Get that right as well, amen? But who do you owe? When it comes to love, who do you owe? Maybe, there's, maybe you owe someone a phone call. Maybe you owe someone some forgiveness. Maybe you owe someone a real heart-to-heart conversation so that way you can move past stuff. I don't know. Maybe you just, maybe they don't even need to know what you owe them. You just need to go on ahead and pay it up. Hello. Who do you owe? And this is what I want you to realize is that Jesus died to pay this amazing price so that way we wouldn't have to owe him anything, but we could just give our love towards one another. Amen? Amen. So I'll stand on our feet. Let's pray together. Father, we know that we owe you everything. Our lives belong to you. And so as your son, Lord God, I come before you today. I pray for myself along with every brother and sister in this room. God, help us to see who we owe love to. Help help us to see who we haven't loved the way that you've called us to. Help us to make amends for those areas where we have been unloving, where we have been ungracious, where we've been unforgiving. Father, today, fill my brothers with the grace that they need. Fill us with the grace that we need in order to love the way that you call us to love, God. And Father, I pray for anyone in here who does not know you. God, may you draw their hearts to you. May they call upon you today, asking for your forgiveness, for your mercy, asking you to fill them with your Holy Spirit, and asking, them, and asking you to lead their lives as Lord. Father, I pray that you glorify yourself in us, and I do ask you, Lord, these things in the mighty and awesome name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. amen. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise?